So good to be here with you and experience God's presence with you today. I'm excited about this morning's word and excited about where we're going um, in, this, uh, in this message. As you turn to John chapter 12, I ask you to do that as Steve has read for us. As you turn there, um, I want to share something with you. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Adrian Early. I'm the youth pastor here at Grace. I work with middle school and high school students. And I want to peddle some of my stuff to you this morning. So um, this is actually our calendar. So if, you have, uh, if you're a middle school or high school student, um, if you're a middle school or high school parent, or you're a volunteer in the student ministry, pick one of these up in the, next, uh, in the lobby at the Next Steps desk. has all of our stuff for this spring uh, sermon series, events, uh, some of the stuff that we're doing in the summer, kind of some upcoming dates. So pick one of these up and, uh, and see what we got going on so you can stay in the loop. This morning um, we have sung about and um, we are talking about uh, being exalted. The word exaltation, exalted, is where we're going this morning. I would say that we live in a glory-seeking culture. Would any of you agree? We, we live in a glory-seeking culture. Our, our, uh, <clears throat> our culture, our world, wants praise for, for something. Um, I have, over the last couple of years, I think since the rise of emojis on phones, um, seen this phrase that has come about, really, I'm going to say, it's been used for years, but it's really come to, to, to prominence over the last few in terms of talking about someone who is the best ever. And everybody in here who's under about 25, you know that the phrase, when you're talking about somebody who's the greatest of all time, what word do you use? Goat. Goat. We say goat. I hate it. I don't know why we do that, but we say so-and-so is the goat, right? I am in student ministry, so obviously uh, being someone who loves sports and loves debating sports, probably find myself in these conversations more often than I should. I was at the high school about a week and a half ago, and I sat down with a kid, and we were talking, we were watching the game, but then we started talking about who the greatest player in a specific sport is. And I won't share the sport because I don't want to tell you who it is, and then you think I'm wrong and I have to prove you wrong. I don't want to do that this morning. But, uh, but I sat down, and he told me who he thought the greatest of all time was, and I told him over the next 45 minutes why he was wrong. And uh, he got, we got done with our, I'll say it was a debate. I didn't really give him a chance to speak. We got done with our talk, and... and I, he, I looked at him and was like, what do you think? And he was like, yeah, that's cool, that's cool. I think he just was done with me talking, you know, but, uh, but we, we do that. I, 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 I mentor some, some uh, football players from the high school during the season, and we get done with our Bible study, and typically the conversation comes about, hey, who do you think the greatest wide receiver ever was? And I tell them, or, or we just get in this debate. We, we like to do that. We spend loads of our time um, making people iconic, Right, whether it is sports figures, whether it is politicians, uh, whether it is uh, uh, other leaders, even pastors, uh, we we make people iconic. With the rise of social media, it's easier to do that. Right, you follow someone, you see their life, and it's easy to to make them in your mind great. And what often makes these players or these these uh, uh, political figures or these leaders what makes them great is their skill, uh, their their ability. Their achievements, their dominance, uh, that's what makes these people great. Whatever they've done, however, whatever accomplishments they have, that's what makes them great. But this morning, we're going to take a few minutes and see that in the life of Jesus, 
the life of Jesus, what makes him great, what makes him exalted, is not that he raised Lazarus from the dead, just a chapter earlier than where we start. What makes Jesus great and why he is ultimately exalted is not because he fed 5,000 men and about 20,000, including women and children. What makes Jesus great is not that he walked out on the water, stopped the waves, and the natural earth obeyed him. That's not why we exalt Jesus according to himself. Instead, we're going to see that Jesus is exalted through humiliation. Jesus is exalted through his own humiliation. Rarely, if ever, have we seen that. Rarely, if ever, in the, in the, in the course of history, have we, seen, have we seen someone be exalted because they were humiliated. Why? Because humiliation uh, brings embarrassment. It brings shame. Humiliation brings uh, dishonor. It doesn't bring exaltation. Being humiliated doesn't bring you exaltation, but it's in this passage that we see the exaltation of Jesus in that way. Not through his power and his accolades, but we see his, his being exalted through humiliation. And we get a glimpse into, into that in three conversations that he has. Three conversations he has in this passage. The first one is with God. The second one is with, pe- with the people. And the third one will ultimately be with you and with me. Jesus is exalted in his conversation with God. Let's jump into that. The first two verses of this section capture a conversation that Jesus is having with God the Father. It captures this conversation. The the people are hearing it. John, the writer of this gospel, is hearing it. But Jesus is not talking to people. He's simply talking to his Father. And these are the words that that he says, Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. See, we like to think of Jesus maybe as a stoic. Because other warriors in history or, or, or people who go into battle or people who go into this, 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 uh, this uh, a sporting game, they kind of go into it as a warrior, right? They don't go showing any emotional agony or any worry, but that's exactly what's happening to Jesus. In this passage, Jesus is facing such emotional agony that it affects him physically. In John, we don't get a a prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane, but we get something similar here. And when he says, my soul is troubled, it's the same word used to express the emotion that Jesus is facing when he is in the Garden of Gethsemane praying that he doesn't have to be crucified. And Luke 22 tells us that his sweat turns into drops of blood because the capillaries in his body burst under his stress. You see, when Jesus says, my soul is troubled, commentators say it was the emotional strain that Jesus was facing, similar to that if you are extremely healthy, you have nothing wrong with you, you are going about your job, you're going about your your day-to-day, you have your your family, and you feel something that kind of seems wrong in your body, so you go to the doctor, and that doctor says, oh no, you then go to the hospital, they check you out, and a doctor then comes back to you and says, listen, as of yesterday, you were completely healthy, but now you have 17 hours to live. That's the emotional agony that Jesus was in. Jesus wasn't losing his retirement. 
Jesus wasn't watching the best years of his life slip away. Jesus was feeling life being drained out of his body due to my sin and due to yours, and he was feeling that agony. And what we got to know is that Jesus, when he was facing his darkest hour, when life was slipping away from him, guess what he did? He didn't turn and run. He said, no, you know what? This is why I've come, and he stayed the course. So I've got to say this to you this morning. Some of you are in here, and you are facing something that you never thought you would face in your life. Whether it is a, a marriage that's on the brink of ending, whether it is a, 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 a cancer diagnosis, it is something that you are facing that you never thought you would face. You must know this this morning, that if when Jesus was in his darkest hour, if he did not turn and run then, then when you face your darkest hour, he's not going to turn and run from you. Whenever you're facing whatever it is that you're facing, if Jesus didn't turn then, he's definitely not going to turn right now. And you've got to know that this morning, that Jesus is, is, is facing this emotional agony like a child who is scared of the night and wakes up like mine did 18 times last night, wakes up and cries out to his father, Father, save me. It was just twice, but it felt like 18. He, 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 cried, he cried out. He cried out to his father. I felt bad in the first service for saying 18. He's a, he's a good one. But he cried out to his father, Father, save me. Then in the midst, in the midst of that agony, in the midst of what he knows he's going to face, look at what he says next, for this purpose, for this purpose I have come. You see, Jesus had one purpose for coming to the earth, one. one. And, you know, when he was facing this emotional strain of, of realizing that God his Father was going to turn his back on him due to the fact that Jesus was going to bear your sin and bear mine, Jesus could have called down 10,000 angels. He could have called down as many as he wanted to destroy all forces of evil. But even if he had done that, and as glorious as that would have been to, to see, that wouldn't have brought him exaltation like what he has to do. You see, Jesus came, and he says this later, right after this, Father, glorify your name. He came to glorify God's name by taking away your sin and taking away mine. Jesus came to glorify God's name, and then the Father speaks from heaven. When Jesus says, Father, glorify your name, the Father, only the third time in the New Testament, speaks from heaven. The first was at Jesus' baptism. The second one was at his transfiguration when he revealed his, his holiness to, to Peter and James and John. And then the next one is right now. And God the Father from heaven says, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. All throughout Jesus' ministry, all throughout it, he has his, the name of God has been glorified, and God the Father says, what you're about to face, I'm going to glorify my name once more. So I want to ask you this question, just as a point of application from this first, this first conversation. Are you living your life with the mindset to glorify the name of God? Are you living your life with that mindset that doesn't mean that, that you wake up every morning wanting to sing worship tunes, you wake up every day and you just open your Bible and it just feels amazing? That's, that, that, that's not necessarily glorifying God glorifying God is living your life with the understanding that God has created me with specific abilities and he's gifted me in the way he's gifted me and I'm going to live to bring him praise through what I am doing for those around me are you living your life with the mindset that I am waking up every single day to glorify God because Jesus in the midst of his agony knew that was his purpose let's move to our second conversation the second conversation is the conversation with the people so I mentioned earlier, Jesus, up until this point, he wasn't, he wasn't talking to the people. He was talking to God, and they were just hearing it. 
And now he turns and he begins to talk to them. <clears throat> and in his conversation with the people, he reveals that he's going to be exalted. He's going to be exalted by, by being lifted up, by casting out evil, by being resurrected, and then by drawing people to himself. That's what, that's what he says. In verse 32, he makes a plain reference, very clear reference, as to how he is going to, to be lifted up. Look at verse 32. He says, when the Son of Man is lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. The word lifted up here literally means suspended above the earth. Suspended above the earth. Jesus is making a clear reference to the fact that he will be crucified. He will be hanging above the earth. He's going to be lifted up. But it's interesting, though, that in every other place in the New Testament, when the word lifted up is used, the Greek word for lifted up, when it is used, it means exalted. So Jesus making it clear to the people, saying, I'm going to be crucified, is also saying that in my lowest moment of humiliation and crucifixion, I will also be exalted. In my lowest moment of crucifixion, I will be exalted. You see, crucifixion doesn't sound as bad to us as what it was then. It was a bad form of death. Right, the Romans, they wanted to inflict torture. They wanted to, 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 to make you feel pain. They wanted to make you a spectacle. That was the whole purpose. But that wasn't the worst of it. The worst of it is that Deuteronomy 21, 23 uh, says in the Old Testament law, if anyone is hung on a tree, they are under God's curse. If anyone is hung on a tree, they are under God's curse. So not only was the crucifixion a spectacle, making Jesus uh, a, a spectacle for all to see. But Jesus, being a Jewish man, and many Jews who were going to be witnessing this, understood that if Jesus is hanging on a tree, he is under God's curse. Again, humiliated. Jesus is being cursed by God Almighty, not because of, of what he's done. He was perfect because of what we've done. And he then says there are going to be two specific ways Two specific results, excuse me, of Jesus being lifted up. The first one is this. The ruler of this world will be cast out. When Jesus is lifted up, the ruler of this world will be cast out. Here Jesus is referring to Satan. In multiple places in the New Testament, Satan is referred to as the prince of this world. Satan is the, the guider of culture. Satan is the antithesis to Jesus. He's opposite of him. And instead of being for your good, 1 Peter tells us that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion seeking to destroy and to devour. We can't have the mindset that Satan's just kind of a bad guy. Satan doesn't want your good. Satan wants to destroy whatever it is that you have. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your life. Satan wants to do that. But Jesus says, when I'm lifted up, what will happen? The ruler of this world will be cast out. The, the, way this, the way this plot unfolds is so good, even a movie can't be this good, right? Because it was at the crucifixion that Satan thought he'd won, right? Jesus is crucified, he is cursed, and he is now dead. But what Satan either didn't know or chose not to realize is that three days later when Jesus is lifted up out of the earth uh, with his resurrection, once and for all, he would be destroying the power of Satan and sin. And when he returns again, Satan will be cast out for all of eternity. See, at the crucifixion, Satan thought he had won the day. But at the resurrection, Jesus crushed the head of the serpent. See, it was at the crucifixion that Jesus uh, humbly lowered himself to the point of death on a cross, and Satan thought he had won. 
But what he didn't know is that as Paul writes in Philippians 2, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Satan thought he had won, Jesus was saying, no, in my lowest moment of humiliation, I will be exalted. And as if we need a second result, we have it. The second result of Jesus being lifted up is it says he will draw all people to himself. Just to make it clear, this is not a universal salvation. Like Jesus is crucified and everybody gets to heaven. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that through my crucifixion, I will let anyone in. This, this, is, this is why this is important. Based on the, the, the Old Testament law, Jews saw only Jews. Israelites saw only Israelites being able to, to make it to God the Father. But through Jesus' death and resurrection, all peoples, Jews, Greeks, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, all people can come to God in Christ. Not just Jews, everyone. Not just the old Israelites, everyone. Jesus breaks all social and racial barriers. And he says, when I'm exalted, guess what? I will draw all people into myself. And this is why, as Grace Community Church, we must always and have to always be about one thing, and that is exalting the name of Jesus. Right? We, we need to serve the community. We must take God's message out of this place. We need to help people in need. But we must always not just help somebody. We must not just try to serve in a capacity. No, our role as a church, our role as people is to exalt the name of Christ. Our new uh, a phrase that Jerry's mentioned the last couple of weeks that um, kind of captures a couple of our values, Jesus over everything, that's got to be true of our lives. That's got to be true of this church. Jesus can't just be something that we think about when we're trying to serve someone. No, we serve somebody because we're trying to exalt the name of Jesus. That's what Jesus is saying. I will draw all people into myself. And that's why here at this church, we've got to lead. We've got to guide. We've got to shepherd. We've got to plan events. We must preach. We must do everything we do to exalt the name of Christ. So Jesus says, he says, when I'm lifted up, I'll be exalted. And the conversation then turns back to the people. And they're kind of confused because they say, hey, we thought that the Son of Man, we thought that the Messiah was supposed to live forever. Here you are, Jesus. We thought you were the Messiah, but now you're saying you're going to be crucified and die. So we know that you can't be the Messiah. So who is the Messiah? Who is the Son of Man? They ask that question because they, they, they're they're kind of close to believing in Jesus but then they just can't seem to get there they rightly know that the Messiah is supposed to live forever but they don't realize that Jesus is the one which makes us takes us to our third truth this morning that's a conversation with you Jesus is still talking to the people but what's so great about Jesus as a master communicator is that he 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 extends them an invitation he doesn't answer their question Jesus doesn't answer their question when they say, who is the Son of Man? He doesn't just look and say, hey, it's me, guys. No, he, he tells them something. And you see, until Jesus came on the scene, the world would live in darkness. Right? Until Jesus came on the scene, um, there, there was no clear way. There was a system, but there was no clear person that could lead you to God. There was a system set up, but there was no clear person. And Jesus says this he says walk in the light so that the darkness doesn't overtake you believe in the light 
Or as the NIV says, put your trust in the light so that you may become a son or daughter of the one true light. See, the main portion of this crowd didn't understand or believe that Jesus was the Lamb of God. They either chose not to believe or they just simply didn't think he was going to die and, and come back. They might have almost trusted in him, but they couldn't seem to fully put their trust that he was the Messiah. So instead, what were they doing? They were choosing to walk in darkness. They were choosing to walk in darkness. They were choosing their own pattern of belief to which would guide their lives. They were looking for the right thing. They were looking for the right. This is what's important. These people were looking for the right thing, but they simply weren't willing to believe that Jesus was the light. So they continued to walk in darkness. They, they thought Jesus was something good, but they simply couldn't get over the hurdle of saying, yes, he is the one. Sin, maybe unbelief, was blinding them to the, to the one true light. The light of God's salvation was standing right in front of them, and they chose to not believe it. So I want to ask you this question this morning. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and as they come up, I want you to, to answer this question in your mind. Are you walking in darkness, or are you walking in the light? Here's what I'm saying. Is your sin blinding you to experiencing more of Christ? Or maybe you're sitting in here this morning and you don't know Christ. You've never put your trust in him and, and you're walking in the darkness of your sin. And Jesus is saying, listen, you want to be forgiven? You want to have eternal life? You want to have a purpose to live on this earth? I'm the one. I'm the one. Put your trust in the light. If you're in here and you're living in the darkness of your sin, there is a light that pierces the darkness and his name is Jesus. And he says that when he is lifted up, he will draw you to himself so that you can become a son or daughter of the light. You see, this is what makes this so personal. God is glorified all the time. God is glorified. As I read in Psalm 19 this morning, the heavens declare the glory of God. We walk outside and God is glorified through just what he created. But God, there's something special about God being glorified when someone who is lost is then found. When someone who is not a child of God becomes a child of God. Right? Because Luke 15, 7 says this. Luke 15, 7 says that when one person comes to faith in Jesus, guess what? Heaven throws a party. When even just one person comes to faith in Jesus, heaven throws a party. So God is ultimately glorified for so many things, but he is glorified when you, maybe as someone in here who has never given your life to Christ, you, you say today, you know what, God is calling me and I am choosing to forsake my sin, forsake my way of life and follow Christ. Or you're in here this morning and you are a child of God, but there is something that is hindering you. Maybe it's sin, maybe it's unbelief, something that is hindering you from walking in the light. And God is saying, listen, the light is there. His name is Jesus. And when you put your trust and you put your faith in him, you walk out of darkness and you walk into the light. So this morning, I'll ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. I want you to just have a moment with God.
And if you're in here this morning and you are a child of God, but you feel as though you're not at the moment or something is hindering you from walking with God, I want you to ask God right now to reveal that to you. Maybe you already know, then ask God to show you how you can get over that thing. And then if you are not a child of God, this morning you can become one. As Jesus has extended his invitation to the people he's extending it to you, Father, thank you that you glorified your name through Jesus. And God, that your name is glorified through those of us who know you. Lord, may you move and work this morning. May you move and work so that people in this room would go from darkness to light, so the sin would be cast out, so that fear would be put out of their minds and they would choose to follow the one true light. Jesus, we ask this in your name. Amen. If you would, let's stand. We're going to